Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Oh my, oh my. Could there be an addition by subtraction this week on the Dream Preview? Let's just say yes. Just did it. It has a name. Like WWE type events, pay-per-views, they got a name. How in the South? Face-off. One side, Steve Fezzik, other RJ. Contention, years of acrimony boiling up, coming up. It's, it's really a, a don't miss. Plus, and I'm going to be honest with you, Fezzik's about one of the least funny people. I mean, he's funny not on purpose. You know, he amuses people, but he had one of the five funniest lines I've heard a human being say in the last year on this pod. We, the whole show just ground to a halt for about a minute laughing. It was his greatest comedic moment. On another topic... Bet DSI. Now, there's a promo code you can use. Supports the pod, but listen, don't support the pod if it doesn't benefit you. But having another out, if it's a trusted out, especially, 20 years paying winners, review sites, a lot of top ratings, user friendly interface, got the mobile, Bet DSI. And here's the promo code, BELL101. So RJ Bell, but just the bell, BELL101. New members get 100% bonus match. It's pretty simple. 100% means double. Double your money before you make your first bet. Listen, life isn't a zero-sum game. You might say, how can they be giving me such a great deal? If a book believes they're going to retain a lot of customers... When they make these kind of deals, they make those sweetheart offers at the front. Doesn't mean that because eventually they're going to retain a bunch of customers that it's got to be you. You can decide, hey, I played through, got my bonus back. And they got the play through, obviously. You know, you got to turn it over. You can't just put the money in and take it out the next day if you don't bet it. But it's a free roll if you think about it. Because you, and, and this is what I mean by that. If you double your money right away, and you play through, and you still got money left, you now have a choice. There's a fork in the road. I like this book, whatever book it is, I'm going to continue playing here because an additional out is so valuable. Or I was able to find out I didn't like this book, but because of the bonus, I was able to find out in a way that whatever pain there was, because there would be pain if you didn't like the book, that the bonus made it where it was well worth it. So... In the end, if you did this five or six times at five or six different books, and let's say you kept half and didn't keep half, you would end up being in a situation where you would add three books, let's say, which is great because all those half points is what drives the winners. And then on the other three, if you broke even effectively from the bonus and the, the hassle, you added three books without any real risk. And if somehow they went 0 for 6, well, then again, Net zero, net zero, net zero. So the bonus is something, yeah, it's a great deal for you and it's a great deal for them because if they retain, if, it, if the book is good, and obviously Bet DSI believes and history says that they're able to offer this bonus because of how many people they retain, which is a good sign because adding a book is the most valuable thing you can do to your bottom line in any given year, especially if you have less than three. Once you get to the fourth diminishing returns, that 
Fezzik literally has 29 outs, but he's a, you know, he's a pro. You got to have three. If you don't have three, you're in trouble. If you want to win, if you don't want to win, just play whatever line. <laughs> we could just retire at that point. BetDSI.com, promo code BALLOT101, helps the show, keeps the show going. Also, though, it's a free roll for you. On to the show. Welcome to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Weekly winners from his Wise Guy Roundtable. Broadcasting from the pregame.com studios in Las Vegas. Here is R.J. Bell. You heard it, and it's the middle of the NBA Finals special face-off edition of the Dream Preview. Yes, that's right. With the Wise Guy Roundtable has been shifted this week only, because Brad's out, he may be coming later. But at the beginning of this pod, at minimum, it's face-off. Who? Who? It's me against Fezzik, and it's been years in the making. I've been uh, chasing this guy ever since I joined the force. He, he has no conscience, and he, uh, he shows no, no remorse. He's the mastermind behind numerous bombings and political assassinations. He has uh, a felony list a mile long, murder, arson, kidnapping, terrorism, you name it. He's the most dangerous and brilliant criminal mind I've ever known. I, for years, I've, I've been watching him, tracking him, studying his every every move. I know his every, every mannerism, facial tick, gesture. I know him better than he knows himself. And now, after all this time, I finally figured out a way to trap him. I will become him. That is the greatest way to describe Fezzik I've ever heard. Now, I'm not becoming him, but (laughs) his face-off time. And why? Because it's really been the theme of the last year or so, is Fez who is brilliant at minimum, brilliant at minimum. I don't use the G word too often. I probably wouldn't in this case either, but brilliant at minimum is fair to say about Steve Fezzik. No talent. I'm not talking about talent. I said genius, genius. I didn't say that. But then on the other hand, he says some of the craziest things in the history of the world. In fact, we're going to have tape on it here soon enough in the next week. But Daryl, producer, producer, Daryl, testify to this for me. In the last 10 days, how many times did Fezzik forget what car he drove? <laughs> at least, at least three times. <laughs> I mean, literally, he's on national radio, 200 radio stations. And I say, do you drive a BMW? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to tell you how you stumped him the first time, though. <laughs> you used slang the first time. You said Benz or Beamer. And uh, I've come to understand that slang is not his thing. Oh, so you, is that what you've come off. to understand? Yeah. Well, start a list. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a guy that went to Super Contest. It's a guy that... Gets probably more only in dreams than anybody. 
And let me just say, you don't have to live with them. You don't. And when you're day after day and you look at him and say, what, for the third time in 10 days, what car do you have? And he gets it wrong the third time. That's, that's almost funny. But it starts, I mean, funny where you wouldn't be frustrated over it. But then you start thinking, no wonder when I ask him what the you know line is, you know, the famous one in my mind, famous in my mind, is when I was using Madison Square Garden as a home court to say, well, yeah, if this game was at Madison, and then he goes, well, no, Boston's closer to Madison Square Garden. That's not a neutral site. Yeah. And, well, you didn't say it that way because <laughs> that would have made, that would have led to an interesting call. Instead, you went, and you were thinking and thinking and thinking and your eyes were darting up and down. And, and I heard, you know, I mean, it was the only thing you could really say is we're counting cards. I mean, like, that's what you were thinking. And then I'm like, we're on national radio. I'm asking him about home court advantage. <laughs> and, and it was like, you were trying to find some answer that was like four levels more deeper than. You just not like it was only to quit hearing my voice for a second. You were supposed to say, yeah, neutral core. But you stalled the whole show for like 18 seconds. And, and it was almost like a car. You know, when you're waiting for something like pizza's really late and you're like, at some point you're going to say F it and, and, and order somewhere else. But you feel I've waited 40 minutes already. You know, it's sunk cost. How just national radio times ticking by. And he's just, it's just silence. And then it's like, well, when do I, you know, how, any comments, Fess? Just think about being like a card counter that forgets the count and he's stalling, right? He's got like 17. He doesn't give the stand sign. But you weren't stalling. You were doing calculations. Yes. I mean. Madison Square Garden, it's a neutral site. You're trying to act like it's funny. It's not. It's why it's like that noise was coming out of your head. It was like an old time, one of those crank ones out, which is weird, but <laughs> there, there wouldn't be a need for face off if it wasn't for that. Because what's happened is I've, I would say, ha- you know, I would say the most common feedback I get is, oh, dream preview is awesome. But the second most common feedback I get is you're too hard on Faz. And I think, listen, if I've got to be the bad guy, bad guy coming through, if I got to be the bad guy in order to get out into the public or to our listeners like a gift of your knowledge. I know if you didn't have this depth of knowledge, you, you wouldn't be here. That pompadour isn't why you're here. And that die jaw, that's not why you're here. <laughs> it's, it's cause you are as good as it gets in this business. But like rain man, you struggle with some basic stuff. But then when that leads into you not getting the information out and I go intently to get it out, the very people I'm trying to get it out for are telling me be easy on them. Well, listen, if I was easier on them, you wouldn't be getting the info. I had a guy on Twitter today say, RJ talks like some percentage of the time, it was a high number, 
And then he said, and he, you know, he, and he's an a-hole to Faz. And he wrote this, you know, long thing. And it's like, and Faz should be mad at RJ. And I saw, and I was actually on the commode right here in the, you know, in the lobby thinking, well, wait a minute. He's saying I talk like, you know, some high percentage of the time, which is true, I think, especially on the pod. And I mean, who, you know, where, where am I going to get my Elon Musk theories out? Right? But it, it was like 85% or whatever, which isn't true, but okay. And he's saying I'm an a-hole, but he still listens to the show. Apparently enough to comment. And I, I didn't just start getting on you and I didn't just start talking a lot. <laughs> it's been a theme. So somehow what I'm saying must work that even through all the pain, apparently for this one schmo of hearing me berate you. And that's the term I hear the most. It's like, yes, because he's so far from, it's like when Belichick, I'm not saying I'm Belichick, but in this case, it's the, you know, a fair analogy. I don't think anyone has, in fact, I know no other show has, if they have 60% of the passion we have for getting the right info out there, I haven't seen it. And, and, and again, if someone's doing a show five days a week and there's, you know, maybe it's hard to gather, right? I mean, we're doing an hour a day, five days a week, and then we're doing this. So what are we doing about seven hours or you know, audio content a week and during football, it's nine because there's two shows. Yeah. I'm not saying they don't try. Well, first of all, there's a lot of shows that don't even try. Like they're not even thinking, they're thinking, I don't know what crowns or whatever on their head. And again, I get it. If you're going for the mainstream, you got to have some of that, but there's still got to be the focus on the content. And then there's the, you know, then there's the niche shows that are, you know, there's like 14 people listening to. And obviously it has to be about the content. Maybe what I'm saying, cause I'm, I'm trying to be honest. I don't want to like say, Oh, we're, we're here and everyone else is so much lower. I think where that is the case when it comes to how much I fight to get past our natural point. Meaning if you just did what you've did three years ago, Fez and Brad did what he did, you know, years ago. And I did what I did years ago. I think we'd still be in the conversation as, you know, one of the best shows or teams, whatever you want to say, because we got multiple shows. The fact that we have fought tooth and nail, you fought against it and I fought for it, but collectively, net net, we fought tooth and nail to get from there to here. I don't think anyone has had half of that vigor. So yeah, sometimes it could it could it show itself more politely perhaps. You sound like a fucking hippie. But <laughs> but the fact of the matter is it's coming from a place of passion. And you know what's great that we can have this face off now and we're going to get to it is Fez has made the biggest improvement and I give Daryl our producer, a lot of the credit. I mean, I tried for three freaking years. And <laughs> why so though? Why? You why know, so? no, I'm serious because I think Fez somewhere in the back of his mind felt like he was right. Mm. And since Brad is so tightly, I mean, Brad doesn't want to get in my way 
So it's almost like if Brad, you would think it's if Brad's not talking, he, but whenever he, Brad is pushed, he, he almost always agrees with me, but he doesn't say it. And, and he's done you a real disservice, Fez, because if you heard his voice saying it for three years, but now a, prof, you know, a professional radio guy with decades of experience, though still youthful in the face, Daryl. And the body too. Come on. Now. I, I have, I haven't seen that yet. And the profile yeah. pictures. But right. the fact that the fact of the matter. <laughs> Well, that was from your high school graduation. You need to stop that. <laughs> I'm like, who's this guy we hired? I saw the. <laughs> I didn't hire that guy. You know, you tripping. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. I mean, Fez, do you see that now that somehow another guy comes in and says, "You know, RJ's right," and you're like, "Oh, oh, I better get to work." Was was that? I mean, it was that simple. I will say. <laughs> <laughs> that I've done a back-of-the-envelope study for everyone out there that say, oh, RJ's too hard on Fezzik. The correlation coefficient between how good my show is the day after RJ is hard on me yeah, is except, remarkably good. Except that's right? the thing. That might have been the case way back when, but then as we kept seeing things improve, and you weren't improving anything, and then all of a sudden every show was getting on you, and I, you know, I'm not sure about that. I, I, I think the question is how you could think... Like in the back of your mind, it was like, uh, art maybe obviously you realized you weren't doing what I was doing on air. So it was like, you had to know there was room to improve, but I think in your mind, you were just thinking, well, this is as good as I can get, except there were like, it was the same basic things. Like don't mumble the numbers. If you're going to use numbers, don't say, line three and a half. like you say line is three and a half sports betting. show. you should be able to quote the line, yeah, right? Exactly. That's pretty important, right? Yeah. So Let's just say this. It's a good time to have it because I don't have any acrimony. Right? I feel I feel so peaceful about where we're headed that we can look back and hash out where we've been. And that's face off territory. Let's get to it. Showtime. Woo! All right, Fez. The game is about to start. <laughs> I mean, we're dedicated with our taping schedule. Game three. So we actually had to really put our thinking hats on. And I think this is going to be great. What can we talk about? You got to quit looking at the screen now, Faz. What, what are you doing? Clay Thompson just got upgraded to probable. Oh, so we don't even have a bet. The line, that's fat. We're going to have to talk about this even next week is the line crashed like crazy. There must have been some news. Wow. Boy. This will be something that we'll talk about later in the show is the idea of me pounding my fist so much about the injury reports are affecting millions of dollars and we're seeing it right here. Hmm. So, but I thought thinking about this, what's going to be somewhat evergreen? What is not just contingent on what happens in game three? And we got some fresh stuff here. So let's start in the NBA. And we're also going to be talking the a new sports book opening in Vegas and a lot of talk that it's going to be taking the biggest bets of any book in Vegas. We'll see. A lot of talk right now. Jibber and jabber. Also, Todd Gurley talking about injuries. I think that was a noteworthy story. And Jeopardy, the sports batter, did well, represented well, but fell a little short. And we're saying this after the show. After the show. Played to 99% of the country. And Fez, you got a best bat. And Brad may show up if he gets out of his appointment. All right, Fez, time to shine. 
you came up with a list and let's go through it at an, you know, a, uh, contemplative pace. Cause I think you got some great stuff here. And the premise is premises that Toronto is undervalued RJ. If you look at their regular season numbers, I, right, so Toronto's undervalued saying just coming in to game three, even there's a, you think there's a systemic reason, a fundamental reason that people don't think that the people don't, aren't giving Toronto enough credit for how good they are. Correct. So, so let's go through the reason. So the reason is if you look at just the regular season stats, let's compare Toronto to Milwaukee. And I got to give you credit. You were on top of this way before me and anybody else that Milwaukee statistically the much better team. Milwaukee outscored their opponents by nine points per game. Toronto only by six points per game. So it wasn't even close. Milwaukee was the much better team. But there were a lot of reasons why Toronto's season-long stats were skewed against them and that they did not fully reflect how good this team is. Let's talk about the number one. And when you say this team is, this team is now. Now, at the high level that they're playing. Key players missed significant games for Toronto. Uh, Kawhi Leonard missed 22 games. Now, they did well in those games, but clearly they, they should have done better if Kawhi had played. Lowry also missed 17 games. Fred Van Vliet, my favorite again. Missed 18 games, and not only did he miss 18 games during the regular season, he was distracted before the birth of his son come playoff time. Marc Gasol came aboard in February. Gasol only played 26 games. So think about that. That's four guys, four key guys. For Toronto. For Toronto. But let me talk about a fifth guy, and this is under the radar, Siakam. Many believe he's the second best player for Toronto. Well, he was the NBA's most improved player this year. He actually was coming off the bench to start the year. Even as of January 1st, he was averaging under 15 points per game. Well, he started averaging 20 points per game after that. So Toronto became a much better player when he became a dominant force. Remember Siakam, RJ, he was the guy that went crazy in game one against Golden State. Yeah, Toronto a better team now than they were throughout the season. And you could say that I, you could say the following about any NBA team is they had games in which they were less than their full strength. But this feels inordinate in a way that if we said what percent, if you had a normal team that was healthy at the end of the year and you said, what would be a normal amount of missed games, normal amount of the kind of things we've talked about or you talked about? I bet you could cut Toronto's by two thirds. So just take a third of it feels normal. It seems like they they probably had triple, you know, the, the the missed games, the turmoil, whatever you want to call it. If, does triple feel right? It really does. I mean, think about it. there's only one starter, Green, that basically played most of the games and nothing really happened. And he's, to I mean, at this him. point, how much, I mean, how good is he? He's their sixth best player. And let's face it, Van Vliet's, oh, getting, Van Vliet's, Van Vliet's getting more playing time at guard now than the starter Danny Green is getting. You know something, this is interesting, Daryl, you're seeing a trick here is Colin is trying to do this now. He was at the forefront, the bleeding edge. And listen, I got nothing. I mean, Colin is probably the guy that's had the most positive effect on my media career, you know, going on that show and then becoming friends with him and him helping us wherever he could. This is where I go. I go to Vegas via the Coward Global Satellite Network, RJ Bell, pregame.com. But there's no sacred cow herds. 
we go at whomever. And Colin was on the bleeding edge of saying LeBron was the best player of all time, better than Michael. And then after this year, he heard him. He didn't make any announcement. He, he just started saying, yeah, some people might say LeBron's the best. And then he shifted it to, you know, at a time people thought LeBron and he just kept backing away like Homer Simpson in a gif or whatever. And, and that's what I hear you doing with Van Vliet is literally on national radio. You said, and you said, I am announcing a formal separation with Van Vliet. And everyone listening here knows Fez has a first love. Just say, I want some Jimmy Dean sausage in a normal voice. I want some Jimmy Dean sausage. Now listen to that and listen to this. I love Jimmy G. It was like, you you know, put some bass in that voice. It's like there's three octaves or something lower. (laughs) It's like a guttural moan or it's, uh, it's troubling. It's troubling. I love Jimmy G. But then Van Vliet was next. And... (laughs) <laughs> at one point you thought Van or in fact one point 10 weeks ago you felt like Van Vliet ranked where in the NBA I had him like in the top 30 in terms of value you had like 26 or 27 okay there's 30 teams five stars 150 players start and I get that you know Vinnie Johnson off the bench that's great. You so literally, he would have been the best player on certain teams. Yeah, a better representation would have been he was the guy that the market I felt got completely wrong in terms of his value. But no, 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 no. no. I get that you want to reevaluate it now. <laughs> sure. But you were just. I listen. Love can be blinding. Women weaken legs. Well, okay. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> But you were, you, you had star, you know, whatever, love, hearts in your eyes, whatever you want to say. But I got to tell you, some of this dirtiest player in the game stuff started as a joke. How bad, for how long did he play badly? A little over two weeks. <laughs> so for over two years, you were the Van Vliet minister of propaganda you were the ambassador and he played badly for two weeks 10 games and your response well they couldn't play 10 games in two weeks so three weeks we'll give you the benefit of the doubt and at the end of or it three weeks in you said enough's enough i've got to formally separate that's it 10 straight horrible playoff games we're done and then what happened was and really i haven't said this on radio just because we haven't had time the real irony of this story is if you would have just done your work, you would have found out the Van, you should have searched for Van Vliet on Twitter and read every freaking tweet to try to figure out what was going on with him. Probably didn't even take that. What we found out was that an external force was affecting his ability to perform. Yep. The pending birth of his first son was upcoming. But you didn't even take the time to find that out. I did not. You didn't ask her. I mean, you didn't ask him, you know, why he was feeling what he was, why, you know, why are you down? You know, listen, we've all, I've been with my wife for what, 13 years coming up, 11 years married coming up. You got to communicate. 
And sometimes it's not comfortable. You know, it's just not. And you got to say, Freddie, like, I, <laughs> we could role play here, but we won't. But it'd be a variation of what's wrong, buddy. Champ, what was your, you called him Freddie though, right? Yeah. Yeah. And instead it was like, you, you started distancing yourself. Like you withdrew. I was angry. <laughs> There's a guy. No, honestly, that's the funniest thing you ever said. It was per, that was Saturday night level stuff. Cause that could have been, that was, you know, something <laughs> I've never done this before. For comedy, but nothing's gonna be better than that. <laughs> you know what's funny? You don't even know how funny. Like it was almost like just rain, like a kid playing with blocks, and ended up spelling a like super, like spelling superfluous or something. I mean, literally, that was freaking hilarious because it was exactly what. A wife or a husband would say, like, why'd you withdraw? I was angry. And you said it in a way that wasn't like it was a revelation that you were just coming to terms with, that you had worked through in other, like in prior sessions, and you could just say now, I was angry. I can admit it. He made me look ridiculous. Now you're, now you're, no, see, you just, we won't, we don't add it, but I mean... Why? Why? Like I just said, it's the funniest thing you ever said. And your response was, let me try to put a tagline on that mistake. But again, it makes me feel good that it was random because that was so funny. Daryl, you, I mean, you see how funny that was, right? No, I got you. And I'm going to clip it too. <laughs> well, but yeah, yeah it, it was awesome. All right. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we actually have. And again, with the new producers, a lot of stuff we can do. We've got, I don't know if any of you guys have seen the movie Contact with Jodie Foster. But there was a character in that movie that was uh, listening to the sound coming from outer space. And he had his headphones on, but he had them pressed against his ears like he was like, you know, trying to block out the world and then he was rocking left and right i'm not saying daryl gets into that <laughs> that frenzy but close is fair to say you've been lighting me up this show huh just just the truth buddy <laughs> is is what is daryl is a technician with this stuff and it was wow because we were getting a clip ready for the you know uh of the freddie van vliet making a three and it was quick because Daryl's in the other room, but there's glass. And I see him look up like he in, just invented gravity or something. And he said, I think I got something. Now, admittingly, this is something that I'm not sure if we're hearing what we think we're hearing. And we did have to try to isolate it. You know, you can do some removing of background sounds and stuff. But listen to this call and tell us if there isn't something related to Fezzik involved with Van Vliet. Kawhi Leonard, free throw line, kicks out Freddie Van Vliet. Yes, sir! Another one! 96-93. Fred's got seven triples tonight. I mean, listen, there's been a lot of debate about this. I think clearly it says aphasic, but then there, we had to bleep it. I heard that in the background also. Yeah. 
but it does sound doctored. So I don't, I mean, we can, you know, we can, Daryl, you can say you isolated it or whatever, but it, it sounded like a whole, it, it was recorded in another, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, Fez, the question is, you've been trying to slowly talk about Freddie in glowing terms. Oh yeah, she was a great wife. It just, you know, we just, it was the wrong time for us. We were too young. I mean, where are you at with Freddie right now? I want him back. Because you really, <laughs> you, that's pretty good. Too. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty good. Is none of this was written. I promise. So what you're saying is you regret. So I tell you, you've been boomeranging a lot lately because I think at the national radio, you don't want to sound wrong, even though you just got to wait it out. What are you going to do? Are you going to go back? But I mean, he probably won't take you back at this point after seven threes. So. Do you feel like you've been jumping to conclusions, you know, in your personal life, in your handicap? I mean, like, what's been happening? I've been overreacting to short-term samples. I think so. I've been trying. And this to- is the poster child of it. I don't want to say I told you so, but all right. <laughs> so we got Toronto. And so far, we're saying, listen, if you look at the season and you look at where they are now, when it comes to the composition of the team, they had this composition because of trades because of you know quiet load management etc etc a lot less than the typical team would have had their you know optimal or close to optimal composition is that the main story or is there other elements to it i really think that's the main story yeah so what do you think you saw because i mean we were here and you know i thought i was flabbergasted so how did you or I I couldn't comprehend what you were saying, so I was I didn't think I was flabbergasted. I was flabbergasted. What do you think it was that after the fit? Well, let's talk about what happened. So after they beat Philadelphia, Toronto, what was your response? Uh, was unimpressed. Maybe small upgrade for Toronto at most. Okay. <laughs> then they beat Milwaukee, the team that actually had stats. There were various things. What was the number? I, I actually remember it. Four, they had 45 games or more with double-digit wins during the regular season. And I think they were the eighth team to do that. And the prior seven had all won the title. So there was things that made Milwaukee out to be a almost, not a lock, but like the perfect profile is the best team in the NBA, right? Yep. And your response after Toronto beat them Without home court advantage. Three-point shooting variance. <laughs> and I, how did I respond? You're like, Fezzik, I think uh, you're missing something with this Toronto team. You uh, undervalued them during the regular season, and I told you. And you're not making the right adjustments. I, I just, it just seems, and, and this is what makes gambling so difficult, is sports betting specifically, on one hand, you got to believe in your core foundational beliefs. On the other hand, the the leagues change so fast, especially these days, and the markets change. It's not just how what's happening on the field; it's the market. The zigzag is a perfect example. The zigzag is just as prevalent. It's just as impactful. That's the right word. Impactful today than it was the day it was discovered, like in the late 90s or whatever. I think, I, I, I don't think it was ever talked about before that. It's just the market's adjusted for it. So it's not a winning bet, 
but the effect is still there. So we, we got to worry about the adjustments of the betting market. We got to worry as betters about the leagues changing, but then we also got to be like a rock. And like, don't, you know, you're solid rock, baby. Cause the, it's like, well, what's foundational and what's changed? You know, what isn't? So on one hand, Fez, I respect that you're stubborn. You got to be stubborn to be a, a good batter because there's going to be a lot of times everyone disagrees with you and you're just like, I don't give a care. But you also got to evolve more than probably any, almost any other industry. So it's a weird combination. You got to be more stubborn. And more flexible. Yeah, you got to recognize which positions that you might be wrong on that you need to move off of without losing your foundation core and the stuff you're right on. And you don't know if you're right or wrong, and you won't. You don't even know after the games are over because there's there is variance in the game, right? <laughs> it's that you got to be both max flexible, well, not max, but but very very flexible and very very stubborn. And oh, by the way, the feedback you get is imperfect. Like if you shoot a three and you make it or miss it, you can say, I'm going to tuck my elbow a little bit. You know, if you now, I guess the analogy is imagine the winds whipping up. Now you don't even know if you shot the ball right. That's a great point, because if you're indoors and you shoot a couple short, you can it's as simple as I oh, let me get a little more leg behind it. But we don't have that because you don't know who I mean, do we really believe that? Milwaukee was that much worse. than I mean, Toronto one and six, it felt but there was a couple buckets in game five that could have swung that whole series. Oh, no doubt. In game three, Milwaukee could have gone up 3-0 in an overtime game. That would have been the series right there. I, well, maybe. Maybe. But, probably. Yeah, certainly probably. It just seems weird that, that, that it seems like if you say something on the air, you are particularly stubborn. It's like you don't... Because in theory, I don't know if it's 50% of stuff you're going to be stubborn about and 50 you're going to be flexible, but... You don't think it's not going to be 90, 10, like on the air, it seems like you want to hold on, you want to hold on. And then somehow you get to the point, you feel the pressure and then you swing all the way. It's like a binary. It's a zero or one for you. You could say, you know, something, Freddie, maybe something's wrong with Freddie or maybe, no, it was Freddie's crap. (laughs) So it's something to watch because I actually have seen. And I think net net that the radio shows and stuff are helping your handicapping when I read your write-ups and, 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 and hear what, the way you're thinking about these games. You know, I know, for example, you've embraced, and we'll talk about it in the upcoming weeks, some even new analytics you, you weren't using before. Why? Because you wanted more stuff for the show. And then you started seeing, oh, look, I can, you know, apply this here and here. But I do think the one thing that's interesting is how as a professional batter, Steve Fazig, how does he represent the, the stubbornness of a professional batter oftentimes and not seem ridiculous? Because in some ways it seems, especially with talk radio where people are swinging left and, left and right and getting whiplash. You can even hear me off a mic, right? It's left, right, left, right. <laughs> and the fact of the matter is oftentimes... It's almost like imagine if poker were live, and I know it is with the final table now, and you just saw like a chip reach or something, fold, 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 and the announcer's going, what is that? How can you win if you don't play a hand? Like what is dramatic and what is good gambling are often very different. And I think in a way that these shows in which when Colin was right, when Colin was wrong, no, 
it looks like Colin was wrong because we're, we're stopping the tape right now and saying this is when we're going to grade it. He's had dozens of times he was right and wrong about the same thing. It was just three weeks later. And, but it's kind of boring. Malinsky, you know, all due respect, brilliant, taught me a lot. I mean, it was like my, it was like my post PhD. You know, I was pretty, you know, I was in my forties when I met Dave and I've been betting, you know, for over 25 years. And it was that last little layer. And not that I don't have more to learn, but, but the one thing about Dave was almost every answer was it depends or ah, maybe, but that's a little bit of an overreaction. Can't do a radio show. If all, if all you're doing is that don't overreact, hold your horses. We don't even know if Milwaukee was, you know, it's like, there's going to be changes in Milwaukee. And if you came on and said, you know, Milwaukee could have won just as easy as they lost. So why would you change anything? That's it. Now what? Conversation's over. Fact is, there's probably some truth to that. Oftentimes, the trick is how do we not go against that truth, but still around the edges be entertaining? And I think you're struggling with that. Because sometimes you seem ridiculously stubborn and then sometimes you seem way too boomerangy, way too flip-floppy. How have you contemplated this? Yeah, you're spot on. And a great example is Durant, where I've gone from, oh, he's worth three points to seemingly um, discounting him completely as having any value for Golden State. And the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. Well, it's a great segue. Like we planned it. You've got, and, and it, it bears repeating because a lot of times if something's a third week in, everyone's like, oh, I'm bored of that. Doesn't mean it, it's, you know, E equals MC squared is not any less applicable hundreds of years later, or I guess hundred years later and change is, I think that was 1920. Huh, I just want to get right. I think it was around a hundred. We'll say, keep it simple. You've got these staff numbers. So let's look at the staff numbers. Let's look at the Durant numbers. Let's look at the together numbers. Let's do the whole recitation. Go. All right. When Steph plays and Durant does not play, Golden State wins 88% of the time. They're 35 and 5. Most recently, RJ, 32 and 2 with Steph without Durant. When Durant plays and Steph is out, huge, huge downgrade for Golden State. They're only 28 and 18. That's 61% straight up. And 18 and 28 against the spread. So very much problematic for Golden State when Steph doesn't play and Durant is in. Now, when both are in, they're a fine team. They're a huge sample on this one. 163 and 46, 78% they win. They're a slight loser against the spread. They're only 48% against the spread with Steph and Durant. So the question is, when do you trust the numbers and when do you trust your eyes, your gut? Because correct me if I'm wrong, we're getting at the point where those staff numbers are statistically, and I don't want to say statistically significant in the 95% confidence interval, whatever. But those numbers, especially if you look at how far they are away, the margin of error that you'd have to be, they say Curry without Durant is a better team. They do. So what do you do? I mean, as a guy, now listen. I don't want to offend anyone. And I, 
I promise that I don't. I've seen some of the dumbest supposed smart people in the history of the world come out of Northwestern. I don't know why it seems like they are centered there. It seems like half the people, I'm like, this guy's supposed to be smart. And then I look and he's saying, he went to Northwestern. I don't know. All right. I'm just going to, let's just say it's a, it's curious. I have a theory on it. What is it? Northwestern's chock. They let a lot of rich families have their kids in. Is that what? No, Northwestern is chock full of students that weren't quite good enough to get into the Ivy League. So they got this enormous chip on their shoulders because they didn't get in. You think that would make them work hard and get smart and not be dumb? (sighs) Yeah. I don't know. But again, you're from Northwestern. With an, what was your degree? Mechanical engineering? Industrial engineering. There we go. Probability That's and trains, statistics. Right? That's trains, right? No, lots of probability <laughs> statistics. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, how do you, uh, you can't, see, this is what everyone's doing. It's literally, yep, numbers say stuff's better without Durant. Can't be. Show's over. It's like, you can't do that. Some talk show nitwit can do that. You can't do that, Fez. So what's the answer? I'm struggling with it. I got to tell you, RJ, normally I am a guy that tries to trust the math and the data more than what my eyes say. But when I watch Golden State and it's crunch time and Durant's on the court and they're so reliant upon him in the fourth quarter, especially. And they're relying upon him because out of design. Yes, Yes, the offense runs through him. And clearly, you would think, well, if that wasn't the optimal way to run the offense, that's not what they would do. But yet when Durant's out, it's just so free-flowing. And Steph is just, it seems like all the other players are playing with a greater joy and a greater freedom of movements. It's hard to believe that a player as great as Durant could not help a team. But I think you explained it. If it is the case, which is if you fundamentally play a different offense and and whatever, because di- remember, Durant, they're not playing with four people without Durant. There's a replacement player. So what's the marginal difference from them to Durant? And then the question is, how much better is Steph? How much better is Draymond? How much better in Clay? And you could see that that distance being made up. Now, obviously, the thinness of the team's an issue. And coming into game three, we can see if, if, if Durant was healthy, Clay being out would mean a lot less. Absolutely. There's a two, a multi, you know, two plus two equals five effect yes. going on with the absences, I think. Um, again, but I guess, is, do we know if he's playing? I guess it doesn't matter because it's not going to be in real time. He's not playing. Oh. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. And somehow I think the line probably popped back up. Line is crashing down to two and a half to three right now. Okay, so the game. Oh, so the game hasn't even started yet. Has not started. Boy, that. <clears throat> I guess we know he's not playing, so it's worth talking about for a minute. The line, by anyone's estimate, I mean, well, we know what the line was. What was the line in game one? I mean, home court's about four. Yeah, Toronto was laying one and a half. So that means that Golden State's two and a half points better. Yes. And so two and two and a half on top of four? Six and a half. That's what I predicted, right? If Clay was healthy. Now, if the line closes at two and a half, which you look, you're saying it's getting close to. I, it's still three. It's still three. <clears throat> All right. But let's say two and a half just to keep it round for a second. So it's four points. So it's three and a half points. So Clay's worth three and a half points. But I guess it's the market. 
embracing that multiplier effect or that two plus two equal five effect that we, that you were thinking, Oh, no one could figure that out. But me speaking of that and not too long, Fezzik's going to explain that there were two people on planet earth that knew how to play Jeopardy, right? The guy who ended up becoming an all time Jeopardy champion and someone else, his first name starts with an S last name with an F. It's going to be interesting. So (laughs) to me, here's the thing. I'm going to usually trust the numbers uh, more. And again, as a finance guy, again, it's not, I didn't go, you know, I took four statistic classes and four calculus classes instead of, you know, you probably had, you know, double or, you know, so obviously it's a matter of degree and then there's PhDs. I mean, math PhDs are, a dime a dozen. So there's a lot of guys that understand math. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a good thing. It's just, there's a lot, a lot more than I do. Let's say I could not have my PhD in math right now. The thing that is really dangerous is the idea that if you disagree with the numbers, you're an idiot because what you got is quite frankly, a lot of people that don't know the math at all. They didn't take calculus. They might not, who knows if they graduate from high school, but they have little podcasts or radio shows on, you know, in local markets or whatever. And they're the sabermetrics, the numbers guy, the sabermetrics guy, whatever. And it's almost like a religion where, what, what, you know, one of the things about religion, I think almost everyone would agree this is a bad thing. If you wrap your arms around it and say, these are my beliefs. And if you don't believe this, damnation and that that's how you know war start obviously that's how elections are lost with the baskets of deplorables and the irredeemable people don't want to hear that they're irredeemable from someone that never met them right and they don't want to hear they're infidels whatever right every religion has people that that you know if you're not Catholic, i'm catholic right there's certainly catholics out there if you're not catholic you know all right that's what it is with these numbers where, you know, everyone's making Barkley out to, you know, to be an idiot. Cause he's saying maybe sabermetrics are, you know, emphasized more than they should be. Now listen, here's where the flaw is. And these people can't be real smart if they don't see it. If the algorithm, if the formula if the computation is proven and certain, math is perfect. Two plus two equals four. But, the, but we don't, there's no such thing as that with almost everything we're saying, trust the math. Okay. All I know, or here's some of the things I know, is I watch a lot of basketball. I played a decent amount growing up. You're hot or you're not. And the idea that if you made four in a row that you're not feeling that fifth one, it's absurd. Now, you might say a professional athlete, you're, you were, you know, could transcend that. All pros are going to be in that play. But there was a, you know, so you had your, your gut feeling. That was mine. I think it's most people's, you know, Jordan got hot in that game. He made all those threes, right? Okay. The hot hand fallacy. And all the math guys, but I think math guys might be, we'll say math fanboys. 
They were acting like they were math guys hanging around the Sloan conference or whatever. And they'd be like, oh, you're foolish, foolish, hot hand fallacy, read it. But then after a paper came out called the hot hand fallacy, fallacy. (laughs) Now, I don't know if the next one's going to come out and they're going to have three fallacies on the end. The best example ever, ever is spinach. 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 Popeye. For a long time, it was believed, and we all know spinach was supposed to have a lot of iron. Iron, isn't it? Right? <laughs> it's good for you. And Popeye used to get his muscle. I That was when I was a kid. I was always like, you know, to my grandma, can I have some spinach? And then she cook it up. I go, this isn't what Popeye's eating. <laughs> no way. Now he was going straight from the kitchen. I mean, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it, at the time, the assumption was a lot of iron. And then it was discovered, or so we think, that someone back in like 1910 made a mistake where they said there were nine whatever grams or whatever, and it was really 0.9. And for like 15 years, it was believed that that, and that was like a great example of, oh, well, how can you let OJ go? Trust the blood evidence. They say, yeah, but the blood evidence only makes sense to even consider if the chain of custody is something you, to whatever degree you doubt the chain of custody, you have to doubt the blood evidence because you could swap out the blood as easy. And you could say, look, look, it's blood. It's 10 billion to one. It's like, well, yeah, but is that his, is that the blood that was found on Rockingham? Or I spent a lot of time watching that trial in between college and <laughs> coming to Vegas. <laughs> is it's easy to point and say, you think the government's just playing wrong? They say there's nine grams, but really there's 0.9. So now it's, you know, what is the, the, the source is the question. And oh, by the way, they found out later that that 0.9 story was just made up. Someone made it up. One person referenced it and it became like, you know, a game of telephone. And really it wasn't that that made him think that there was so much iron in there, but rather it was Popeye. It was the fact that it tasted so bad. They thought, well, this must be good for you. And I'm not saying spinach isn't good, but so literally who knows what the story is going to be in five years when we decide to talk about it again. So on one hand, if, if you're sure of your data and you're sure of the formula, it's idiotic to say two plus two doesn't equal four. I agree. The idea that all these things are that nailed down is absurd because they're constantly changing. So to me, I think when you hear that argument, your gut or analytics, now in this case, we trust the source data because everyone, you know, we've got the same numbers other people have. In this case, there's no, there's no formula. It's like, hey, 35 and five is a lot better than Durant's number, which is 28 and 18. Yeah. It's no formula. Now, there is a formula in how likely is it that that variant variation happened due to variance. So in a weird way, everyone is dismissing that the team could possibly be better without Durant. But when it comes to the two flaws that you will encounter with the math guys, the source data being wrong 
or the formula being wrong. It seems like this one's almost impervious to either of those. But everyone just shrugs these, this one off because it doesn't have a name like War or Whippo or whatever. And explain, Fez. You're, you're defending the math guys right now. You know, this is one of those complex issues that I'm having difficulty just explaining. No, no, no. I understand that you don't understand or, or you don't. And I haven't heard any good uh, reasoning for why the numbers are what they are. I'm saying, why do you think the math guys are just shrugging their shoulders and saying, and listen, I get it. I get. I'm guessing if we did a interval analysis and all that, that that you could say, well, there's at least a this percent chance. Okay, but boy, we've got one sample of it, and it looks mighty, mighty impressive. But no, have you heard one person say, I believe that one person in the media that's respected saying, I believe Golden State's better without Durant. Not a one. So it's like zero for whatever. And the mass says pretty strongly that it is the case. Yes. All right. It's, it to me is one of the more, buff, but it's fascinating. You know, if the answer is easy, by the way, we were talking about clay. Very valuable. Obviously we, we saw with the market. And, and again, I think if, if Durant were playing not as much speaking of injuries, Fez, talk a little bit about your thoughts on Looney and also how the scheduling of the finals, you think, has some advantages and disadvantages for the, the injured team. Yeah, so Looney is an under-the-radar center for Golden State, and he had a, a pretty darn good regular season, but RJ, he has really come on. So let's quantify that. So you've been dabbling with this new number, which is... Real plus minus. Yes. Real plus minus is how well your team does after when you're on the court and it attempts to estimate how valuable that is based upon the teammates you're playing with and the opponents you're playing against. Yeah. So it's saying, hey, if you if you got a lot of good players on the court, they're saying you should do better points wise as a unit. A lot of bad players. Okay, so where in this adjusted or real plus minus did Looney rank? Number 10 in the league. Number 10. Well done. All right. It seems crazy that he was the 10th best center. And I think we exposed, and again, no stats perfect, obviously, but don't don't betray math. Is the idea that Kerr really didn't play Looney like you would play the 10th best center in the league and obviously Kerr knows Looney better than anyone. Correct. So Looney's minutes aren't as many as these top nine centers. So what happened again, he's injured now, but you know, right. So, so what happens is certainly Kerr could have been playing him in the best matchups and the best situations. See, I wasn't even thinking of it like that. But that's an interesting point. So if you only, you know, it's almost like if you don't have to play back to backs, which isn't it, but you have a, just a advantage. But what happened is at a certain point, let's just say that his situations were ranked one to a hundred. And let's say he was playing in, and one's the best. He was playing one through 20, but at 21, he said, no, Looney, you're not playing. That would help your real plus minus. But in theory, if he felt like he was better, you know, the 10th best center, he would have been playing him a lot of, a lot more situations, which would have ended up making his real plus minus good. So if Kerr would have showed more faith in him, Looney's real plus minus probably would have gotten worse. Yes. 
Well, there's some circular something going on there. Interesting, because I'm saying the fact that Kerr didn't play more is proof the real plus minus in this case is overranking him because wouldn't he play the 10th best center more? It's interesting. It really is. All right. So Looney's out and you think more valuable than I certainly thought a couple of days ago. You've convinced me. You've convinced yeah, and, me. And Looney really stepped it up in the postseason. That's really a key. Yeah, but factor. if you're, listen, just saying he's the 10th best center in the league, you don't got to step it up anymore in that. Fair enough. Right? The fact that he did seems to follow through with the idea he was better than people thought. All right. Agreed. Now let's talk about, and obviously, uh, I don't know about obviously, Iggy has a little something. Obviously, potentially Durant could come back. And the schedule, though, seems to really be benefiting or will be Golden State. Yeah, so after game four, the schedule is basically drawn out, extended, as all NBA finals are, that all the teams will get two full days off and then they'll play the third day for games five, six, and seven. I think this is a key advantage for Golden State, the much more banged up team. Give Durant a little more time. Iguodala will improve. Clay Thompson has more time to get to 100% advantage Golden State games five, six, seven. All right, so advantage, and let's be clear, advantage relative to what you would expect in a normal regular season. Right, having to play every other night on average. Yeah, so to me, I get it. Thursday night, the movies come out. They want to have the game Sunday. You know, this is a a show, the NBA Finals. Any game is a show. Otherwise, there's people just as good at their sport at archery that are working at 7-Eleven after they're done training for the Olympics or whatever. So it's not about being one of the best in the world at something. It's people wanting to watch one of the best in the world at something is what matters. But it, I think if we extend this thinking, the other thing it benefits, the extended, extended thinking with the extended series, it's thin teams. So if you're top heavy, like Golden State certainly is, and these super teams that are being assembled, you could make the case the way they're doing the finals and the playoffs as a whole, because there's a lot of days off, benefits the thinner teams by making that disadvantage not as big of a disadvantage. It's a great point, because now you can play Steph Curry 44 minutes and not worry about, ah, gets a couple of bumps and bruises. He'll have two full days off before the next game. Yeah, and and to me... And we're going to do, do a post-mortem after the playoffs. We came in with certain assumptions about how do you adjust from regular season to postseason. And every year we want to tweak them. And I think there's some big changes this year. And I think one of them is thin, you know, depth of bench doesn't matter as much. Now, what Golden State's done, and let's segue to Kerr and how good of a coach I think Kerr is. And I think today, my, I think Pop's a little checked out. I know he just sign a new contract and he's got the Olympic team coming out, but, and maybe he's rejuvenated, but watching the Spurs a lot in the last five or six years, I'm not sure Kerr isn't better right now, but again, some of this stuff I can't judge, but what I know for sure is Kerr has a approach that a lot of coaches don't, and they don't have the equity to what you find out is the best coaches tend to win championships and winning championships allows the coach to do things that other coaches couldn't do because they couldn't take the heat. You think about Belichick throwing in the, the famous kind of first Belichickian, like, what in the hell is he doing? 
was when he went for it on his own, what, 28 or whatever. Yes. Against the call. And every talk radio guy was going nuts. And I, even at the time with my little rudimentary math, I put out on Twitter is it's like, this makes a ton of sense. You know, the chance that, you know, it was really down to what's the chance they were going to make the first and they'd run out the clock versus the Delta of scoring with Peyton Manning from like the 30 and only 30 yards ago versus having to go 70 yards or whatever. It was extra 40 yards versus the effect on the odds versus the chance they would make the, the fourth down, which and was effectively win the game. It was, not effectively at that yeah. point, it was a kneel on. So, but no one thought of that. And now you've got guys where they're hiring people and they're going for two down 14, you know, or down uh, eight. eight. Yeah. I mean, Correct play. Yeah. Well, yeah, but there's been a thousand times it happened before it happened the first time and they were incorrect. Right. So to me, the ability to do innovative things is somewhat correlated to your equity to take heat when no one understands why you did it and it fails. And we'll actually be talking about the theory of Jeopardy James and his bet in the final Jeopardy. Kerr, though, obviously has a ton of equity. And what I think he does, and I'm almost certain, is he is thinking about the series. He's not thinking, he's thinking about the year. And I, I got to be honest with you. I don't think this is getting a tenth of the credit it deserves. Look at the Lakers. Phil Jackson, the, the, the Zen master, that team... The, they didn't win it and then Kobe and Shaq broke up. They came in and got, was it swept or was it five against the Pistons? I think it got swept. Doesn't matter. They got dominated. Against the Pistons team is probably one of the worst champions of the century, you know, the 2000s, you'd have to say. And it wasn't even close. That team fell apart in front of the nation's eyes. Kerr has done, let the, let the players coach, you know, this, that, the other. And all it's done is, and who knows what's going to happen this year, but all it's done is led them to coming together at the end and playing their best ball. And I don't think it's human nature. I know it's not to say, I'll, I won't eat this donut today because I want to look good on the beach in three months. I know I'm below 50% on that <laughs> one. I was estimating 34%. I might have been against a cheesecake in the <laughs> buffet line. There is no line, though. It's a, it's a, it's a perpetual circle <laughs> of buffet passing by, and I could get at that. Like you could pass by that mother effing cheesecake fifteen times, but if you get it the sixteenth, you ate it. At least I did. To me, Kerr's equity and innovation to suffer now to win later very undervalued. I think, and I think we're going to look back when the books. There's going to be some books coming out because Kerr's not one to talk about how, how smart what he did was. He's kind of one to, oh, he oh, or all shocks it. Me? I don't know. Matt? What do you think of Kerr? I was really impressed by what he did against Portland where, remember, against Houston, he tightened up his bench, didn't play many guys at all. And then it's a completely different animal. RJ just started playing Eight guys off of the bench in the Portland series. In three of those four games, he was trailing by double digits in the second half, and he was so patient, and he played everyone. And basically, um, you know, I think it was good for team chemistry. It was good for him to go ahead and evaluate which players were the best in which situations in the playoffs. I think it really, really is helping this Golden State team, especially as thin as they currently are, and now they need to play some of these bench guys again. You wouldn't understand that here in Dillon... 
We win seasons. We don't win games. State championships. Buddy Garrity must have been the first one to do that. (laughs) This is R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Now back to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. All right. So adjustments in series, it's fascinating. I mean, we're going to see what the boxing won, but just every game. In a way, I do think NBA Twitter and and the idea of just, you know, we had a guy that helped us out for the Fox Sports Radio show straight out of Vegas, 6 o'clock Eastern, five days a week, in which he did just film for the Toronto Raptor. Imagine there's a guy that breaks down film and puts it out for, you know, for free for just one team. I, I, I'll dig in. I'm guessing that pretty much every team's got one. How well you imagine you're breaking every game down. You're going to know, and you have an inclination towards it. It's amazing. And the more I get into that, the more I realize the, the good coaches, like in baseball, they say coaches are, you know, all almost all replacement level and Billy Bean didn't really pay a coach because he thought it was not worth it. He wasn't getting value. I know NFL exalts the coaches, but it just seems to me NBA, especially in the playoffs, coaching matters a lot more than than I realized, I think. Yeah, or I and a great example with Kerr is like in it Golden State's been playing this pick and roll with Curry that's been so effective throughout the playoffs. And in game one it wasn't very effective. And what uh, Kerr identified is that they, yeah, they're just double teaming Steph. They're, they're rushing Steph. And he started running all his pick and rolls like eight feet further from the basket, effectively to use a hockey term, getting a power play when they doubled Steph. And now it's four on three to get the goal. Good stuff. That's Steve Fezzik. I'm RJ Bell. Shifting gears. Last thing with the NBA, and I'm going to say this quick, but I think it's interesting, is the idea you know, Bill Simmons, he knows the NBA. You know, Bill Simmons once had something to say about you, Fez. Let's listen. He, he, he says, Fez is the number one gambler right now. Let's hear it. Fezzik's the number one gambler right now. Fezzik, the number one gambler. I like that. That was, an old, that was an old tape. All right. The Simmons knows basketball. And he made up a list on his podcast of the biggest narratives or, or storylines entering any NBA finals since 1980, I think it was. And the number one was with Chicago Bulls, their sixth title, and it was like, this is the last ride, last roundup. And that's a hell of a story. He had number two, Magic Johnson and Isaiah Thomas having their conflict or whatever. That was number two in his mind. Now, listen, maybe there's something he missed, but he knows basketball. I would make the case this year, the best player on a dynasty, or same best player. Durant. Durant. And I think he is the best player in most situations. Maybe not this one. Durant is 90% to leave, you know, very likely to leave. And Kawhi, as much as people might say, oh, I think it's changed. Nah, from what I hear, 90 plus percent. The idea that each of those stories individually, I think, are bigger than Magic versus Isaiah. The best player in this championship series team is leaving, likely. It's kind of wild to think that with four, almost 40 years of basketball, the, the number two and the number three biggest storyline entering any finals was this year. And then I started thinking, 
doesn't feel like we that they talked about it all that much. And then it dawned on me, they've been talking about this since freaking December. So in a way, it's talked out. It's like, what are you going to say? Oh, Durant's probably leaving. But if you just look at it from, hey, what is the reality at the start of these playoffs? Maybe the second, third biggest story in the history or in the last 40 years of the NBA finals, specifically the finals. All right, let's go NFL. A little bit of Vegas, behind the ropes of Vegas. A little Jeopardy than best bat. We're going with vigor. Todd Gurley. Fez, I mean, we were down on Radio Row, and I would make the case of any national host that we, the show, I as the host, pounded my fist the most that the NFL was being (sighs) derelict when it came to reporting the injuries in a way that we could trust. And And the whole time, I'm like, it didn't make sense. You know, what logic could it be that Gurley's playing, what was it, four carries or something in a key game? In the playoffs. Oh, yeah, exactly. C.J. Anderson getting the bulk of the carries. I mean, not the bulk. It was like four in one (laughs) game, right? For for Gurley. Yeah. And everyone else shrugging. And to me, it's all about the following. Again, having, at least academically, a finance background, you understand what the SEC does is Elon Musk, he says something on Twitter that is, is you know, feels like wasn't that big of a deal. And I think he got fined $20 million. They said, you're trying to affect the markets. Now, I know the stock market is bigger than the betting market, but the betting market's millions. I mean, the Super Bowl, billions are bet on it. But somehow, some way, we as a betting market didn't deserve to actually have the team just tell us the truth about what's wrong with Gurley. And now it seems like our suspicions are proven even more true. Yeah. So Gurley, uh, apparently it's being reported is going to be splitting carries, not going to be the bell cow back for the Rams going forward. And the Rams went ahead and drafted in the third round a running back out of Memphis. It's pretty clear. There's something wrong with Todd Gurley. Now here's an example of where if you understand the derivative markets, the prop markets, and I don't know if you, we, we don't talk about this much, news breaks. The natural move is you play that Rams back for, on the rookie of the year odds. And I saw, I, I can't remember who mm. on Twitter talked about it. Yeah. And, and they got him at 40 to one, I think. Because the theory was with Gurley, how's that guy going to be rookie of the year, right? Right. So that's interesting. If you really know the lay of the land of the props, as news happens, you can think, in fact, you're a master at this when it comes to the game, you know, third quarter, the way it affects this. But the props is another area, I think, that there's real opportunity. You know, that's a great point. Because think about Kamara when he was a rookie for the Saints and he came in with Ingram and there was going to be a, a, it wound up being a two-back situation. Kamara just had this monster year, right? I agree. Let's pull back the curtain. Derek Stevens, guy, you got a gumption. That kid's got gumption. If you go back in the podcast archives about a year ago, maybe a little more, Derek came in, sat down for a long interview. He said, I think he said it was the longest interview he ever did. I said, oh. now on those, I, you know, I, you know, I let the guests talk mostly. 
New book opening up, Steve. Give us the facts. Yeah, Circa Sportsbook, owned by Derek Stevens, opened up at the Golden Gate. A little bit of a boutique sportsbook at the Golden Gate. Now, what's going to happen, RJ, is that the Circa Casino and Sportsbook is going to open up in 2020, where the old Las Vegas club is in old downtown Las Vegas. But um, Derek wanted to open up his own book a year ahead of time, and it opened up. Which which makes a ton of sense. Beta test it. Because in that one location, it's going to be, they don't have an app yet, do they? They do have an app. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. That kind of goes against the whole beta test. Well, I guess they figured they're going to earn. Why don't they start earning now? Yeah. And, uh, the app, much lower limits if you bet on the app, though, than if you bet in person. All right. So Derek, I would say, really has done a great job in his career just getting public, getting PR. He's just a natural showman. Yes. He, and he's a grinder, too. He sits down at the end of that long bar. I mean, imagine working a full day and he just, I mean, obviously he enjoys having a drink, but He's getting talked to. I mean, he's a social person and he's grinding. Let's give him credit. Yeah, over at the D. Absolutely. Yeah. So on top of that, there was some interesting and, and, and quite frankly, attractive promotions to kick things off. Absolutely. So the book opened up this past Saturday and they, at the Golden Gate, dealt, dealt not reduced vigorish. RJ, they dealt no vigorish. So if two baseball teams were equally matched, it was minus 100 for Team A, minus 100 for Team B. He also did that on the, um, the hockey game and on the soccer game that day. Okay, now, kudos. Now, obviously, you can't make a living that way, but it was promotion. So, you know, again, kudos. It's fascinating though, if you look at the results, because they actually released publicly their betting results on day one. Yeah. So they wrote about 850,000 in handle, pretty darn good, but they lost and they lost significantly 125,000. So uh, not a good opening day in terms of results for the book. So their negative ROI... Like minus 16%. How can that possibly be, right? And and to me, obviously, there was some bad luck in it. But we were talking before the show, like, what caused this? And I think that the main answer to me is who did that no-vig promotion attract? Who was attracted to that? People who are price-sensitive, which are professional batters. I mean, most batters aren't as price-sensitive. I'm talking to you. As they should be. Three and a half, four, you know, it's not a key number. But the professionals are looking at every penny. Exactly right. And the best evidence of that, and frankly, the Golden Gate was shocked by this. 98% of the action came on sides and not totals. 98%. So what's going on? All the pros are going down there. And they're looking to bet at no vig. So because the totals weren't offered at no vig, they didn't bet the total. Yeah, it was like imagine Bobby's room opens up and says, you know, once a month we're going to have uh, fifty thousand, a hundred thousand, and we're not going to rake the table. Is yeah, the fact there was no vig hurt. Like you could add on the the, you know, I guess in theory, it, I mean, I guess it wasn't split action, and they won more games than they lost. The betters did. So it'd be less than the four, you know, four point percent, um, or the two point three percent on the baseball. Yeah, or, or he was dealing a down line. Yeah. Okay. So my first, you know, obviously the first thought is, God, that much vig, but but it was it was more in my mind, and I think you agree now that we talked it through, Fez. They just attracted, just like Bobby's room would. 
not because there was no uh, no rake in this hypothetical, but because it was the limits were so high or it was so attractive, how, whatever was it. Maybe they had a free exotic food sushi buffet down there in Bobby's room. It's going to, you know, got people down there. But whatever draws p- the best of the best to just one place to put a- almost all their action. Because think about it. If you're saving 10 cents on, you know, some event, did, did the games have to be played that day? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and you could only bet it once. So you could bet every game, but you each mm. one one bet per game per person. Okay. So that even reinforces the point. They were taking those limit cracks and a couple of the, no, they could have went the other way, but if you get the best bettors in the world all in one place, how many were down there fast? Oh, there was dozens and dozens. So of the, pro, it was like, uh, Almost like a, a convention or something. Yeah, and you know, this happens in blackjack. Sometimes a casino pays two for one on blackjacks, for instance, and all of a sudden you'll see all these familiar faces of these pro gamblers they haven't seen in years, and they're all in that same casino. Now, did you get a sense from the the ones, in, and, and again, some want to be in obscurity, but the ones who try to get on the radio and stuff, did you feel the envy? Could you feel it radiating? They were too busy betting. Ah, whatever their envy is, <laughs> it's small. We actually, pro bettors are probably as vindictive as anyone, but they do love money more. That was very well said. In all the five boroughs, I'm known. I'm known all over the f-ing world. I can't believe you have it in your contract. We had to play that four times a month. Five. No, four. That's after. That's Check the fine print. All right. Last thing on this. I'm going to take a victory lap. What have I been most negative about in the last five years, four years, three years, this year? Lack of innovation, lack of competition. Cockroaches. Cockroaches, yeah. Now, I'm not mad they have the 110. I wouldn't mind it being Cambat style 107, but they got the 110. I got it. They... Vegas, I've met every bookmaker in town multiple times, meetings. They all got big bellies and they're all just smiling all the time because they hardly had to do anything, at least before. And they were making some of them like six, seven hundred thou. I get why I take a chance. But to me, it's not the fault of of the, the sportsbook manager, whatever, who's making the decision. It's the fault of the incentive structure of the company. And I knew how it was different. I moved here, not a lot of innovation nine in 98. And then there was a time, and you can help me with the year, Fez, that there was Leroy's that had their own, you know, whatever it was, 30 books or whatever. And Vic Salerno, who isn't a super well-known name, but quite frankly is one of the real founding fathers of Vegas sports betting. First guy to have... I guess a syndicated book, you know, the idea of having multiple chain, a chain maybe is the way to say it. The first chain was Leroy's and Vic innovated that. And I know Vic pretty well. He was very nice to me. I mean, years ago when there was no real reason to be nice to me, he just thought I had some interesting ideas and was very kind. Uh, Him and a guy, uh, John English, who's not a famous name, but a real mover in town. Very nice guys. And... Vic was running Leroy's. The Calneva had Chris Andrews, a pregame alum, now at uh, the South Point. And number two at Calneva, which was another one of these chains, mostly in Reno, but some here, right? Yep. 
Tuscany. Nick Bondanovich, who is now running, you know, running risk or whatever for William Hill, was the number two. And then you had Jimmy Vaccaro running the Luckies. They all had three different numbers. William Hill comes in. Listen, hey, consolidation, bottom up. And then that was the time that Cantor, not CG, Cantor was, you know, under Holt and was super innovative. And they were the ones everyone was chasing because everyone was scared. Oh, every bookmaker was complaining. Why are they stealing our ticket writers were our best ones because you're not paying them enough that's why the mar- finally someone came in and said wait a minute you're paying these guys that really do a good job like whatever they were paying them we can pay them 50 percent more and it would still be worth it it's like that's like business 101 stuff that was happening in the 1400s sounds like some theory at harvard and they were mad. you know how mad they were and so all at once or around the same time Cantor gets blown up pretty much because of the legal issues. And these three books, you, you think William Hill comes in, there'd be like a fourth becomes one. The four become one. And listen, I'm not one to sit and hear professional betters bellyache. But let's just, I think it's fair to say William Hill is innovative when it comes to marketing. But when it comes to offer, sport, uh, better friendly offerings... I would say not very innovative. Not if the better has an idea or a clue no, on how to beat them. No, no, I, I got that. You guys don't want them to just keep getting beat. I get it. They have. There's no rule. They have to take your bets. I, I, go play with each other. It's like poker. If, if if there's one guy so good, he walks in, everyone walks away. What's he gonna do? Go cry about it? Who's gonna go when you get? But I don't hear you cry. You're barred at blackjack in how many places? Or multiple places. Multiple places. Why aren't you crying about that? It's basic casino strategy. Well, why would it be any more so for sport? You know, why would they be any more inclined to want you to go in there and tear them up at sports batting? Because to to win a blackjack, the individual has to be able to show that talent. And I would argue, just kicking out a guy in a sports book. But you, you, you don't have there's no right. There's in. no right to bet. Fair enough. Right. You're no right. shirt. No shoes. All right. And what you're saying is what? So you're saying your main complaint is they're actually throwing out guys that aren't really winners. They're so quick to pull the trigger. Well, if anything, that's hurting them. Yeah. And it's helping the guy they threw out because <laughs> he can't bet and he's a loser. So you, what you're saying is you're like a child. You're just mad someone took your toy. Yes. All right. <laughs> So to wrap up that took away my Lucky's toy and my Calneva toy and my Leroy's toy. Was that the Dice Man? A little Dice Man in there? Yeah, you're I think the comedy should have stopped after the one line. But I it was great. To wrap though, look at what Jersey's doing. Meaning innovation. Cash. I think that cash out's awesome because here's what you don't realize. It's not just, oh, you get your money. It should get your money and you can bet it again because most people is betting out of their pocket, which means there's no bankroll. There's no, I got 10 bets. It's I'm going to bet all I got in the one o'clock games. And then if I win any, I'm going to bet all I got in the four o'clocks. And if you can cash out, and I don't, I think they're doing this where even in game, they're letting you cash out. So that right there is a couple years worth of innovation I would have taken None of it in Vegas. And now we've got, you know, Circa and 
as we talked about with the innovation there and, and well, there was just the, you know, the no vig for the one day, but also they were having yes, no on a, on every team. Yeah. You can bet the teams won't win the Super Bowl. You're not just forced to only bet. Yes, they and will. I, and I, what I saw was the vig was well below 3%, right? Yeah. So yeah, it was I mean, like, I mean, the spread, the straddle looked big, but it's kind of deceiving. They're not gouging. It's the opposite. It's less than minus 110. Right. And also, the theory is they're going to take big bets. We'll see. But it just, all I know is Derek Stevens comes into town. All of a sudden, I'm hearing about new things for the first time in a while. And then Johnny Avello, who was here, and again, give him credit on horses. I think he was pretty innovative because he had those future. He got killed on that one a couple of years ago. The futures pools on the derby because he he knew you know he was a, he is an authority on those horses. But I wouldn't say the win. Well, I guess he was doing the the, the world openers for a while too. So let's give Johnny credit. For the college football, yeah. and he let you bet teasers, yes and no. Okay, I like. So let's that give Johnny plus. credit. But then he goes to Jersey, and, and I think even more innovation, Johnny Avello, but in others too in Jersey. So if it wasn't for the disruption, the competition. We'd be sitting here, same old fat guys rubbing their tummy, cash, cashing their checks. And all I want to say is there can be no debate that the negativity, the criticism I've levied, it's been proven. If, 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 if for years and years nothing happens, all of a sudden Cantor comes in and things start to happen. And all of a sudden Cantor gets snuffed out and they stop happening. And then all of a sudden Jersey opens up and they start happening. Let me think. It's a freaking choice. Fez, you can't put your arm up and flex on the radio. Say RJ, absolutely. RJ, absolutely let... spot on. And yeah, but you didn't like it because you thought the book, like somehow you weren't going to get your bologna sandwich, room temperature, white wonder bread. <laughs> and they didn't. And you know what I realized? I didn't think of this originally. They didn't even. Pe- you know how some uh, in the bologna you have to peel off the edge. Like it's un- it's the cheaper ones. There's like the you know the outside of it before it's sliced. Yeah. It, they, you were peeling that off to right. eat that bologna. Right. But you still wanted it. It's free. <laughs> All right. That was good. Are you taking like some psychotropic stuff like for your synapses? Just the fish oil. But you've been taking that for a while. Pretty good today. All right. Last thing before best bets is we're going to talk Jeopardy. And then we're going to do best bets. I think we might have a little theme music. All right, Fez. Brad, usually he's done this on the radio. So just kind of dump some numbers. Do you have like, he was 97% all that stuff? Yeah. So Je- right, so him is, and then you've got some game theory stuff. So Jeopardy James got 97% of the questions or answers, as you would like to say, correct when he answered. That was so good compared to past champions, including Ken Jennings only answered 91% correct. So think about this. Ken Jennings got 9% of his responses wrong. Jeopardy James only 3% wrong. So Jeopardy James was fast approaching Ken Jennings' 2.5 million record. Ultimately, Jeopardy James Holzhauer did not manage to break that record because he just recently went down to defeat. But what was amazing during his run, RJ, his average um, victory amount was 77,000. Well, and all the years prior in Jeopardy, 7,000 7, was the record, the most anyone had ever won 
James Holzhauser revolutionized the whole idea of how to play basic strategy in Jeopardy. Okay, a couple things. One, the game he lost, it wasn't like he did very poorly when it came to his answering, but rather the luck of the Daily Doubles was a big factor. Exactly right. So what happened is that his opponent, Emma Betcher, got both of the Daily Doubles in the second round, and she wagered aggressively. She wagered high on both of them. She got both of them correct. That enabled her to take the lead going into Final Jeopardy. It was close, but Emma had the lead. Okay, so he had a a heck of a margin of, you know, of uh, error, I guess, a mode of safety, but when you add up not getting any of those daily doubles and when you're the guy winning, you're picking to, to potentially, you get your cracks at the daily doubles. You could just say it was bad, like anything else. He had an ad. I mean, my sense is if those two, I don't know how she kept winning since I haven't even seen. I saw her the first episode after she won, but she was shaky. She was certainly vulnerable yeah. in that game. I mean, like if the, if they replayed that game, I'd, I'd probably lay my, I'd certainly lay minus a thousand on Jeopardy James. Yeah, I think that's a good number. I mean, he, you know, he, he just got unlucky. So the betting on the final Jeopardy, a lot of people, you know, it was reported as a controversial bet. The basic strategy of it, or the, or the, I guess you would say the game theory of it, you think was perfect. Yeah. So it's, well, no, not actually perfect. You had kind of, Another possibility, but let's talk about how at a certain at one level that what James did was perfect. Yeah. So final Jeopardy basic strategy kind of fell into place here. So what happened is that the leader, Emma, had about twenty six thousand and most Jeopardy front runners in final Jeopardy wager enough such that if they get the question right, they're going to win automatically. They wager just enough that they'll beat everyone else, even if everyone else goes all in. By $1. And that's exactly what she did. She wagered enough. So she got it right. She was going to win. So Jeopardy James was sitting with about 23000 And he's thinking, I'm sure he'd figured this out before. Hey, if Emma gets this right, I lose anyways. So if she gets it wrong, I want to make sure that I win. And because I know almost for sure that she's going to wager aggressively to lock me out, I should probably wager a very small amount such that the third place person cannot catch up to me. And that's exactly what he did, RJ. He wagered just under $1,400. So even if he got it wrong, he'd stay ahead of the third place person. Long story short, what James did is that he essentially locked in a win provided Emma missed the question. And really, if you think about it, it's kind of a Boolean or a binary. The leader is either going to get it right or not. And then there's a range of batting they can do. And then the second person get it right. And then what's fascinating, though, is the idea that playing, and this is what some game theory people do in poker, is they randomize by their watch where they want, there's certain situations. And again, I'm no expert at this because I, that's, you know, I'm not that advanced at poker. The GTO grinder stuff. Which is a huge culture. I mean, I mean, a couple of years ago, you, you didn't, like the game has revolutionized from what I can see at the highest levels again in the last couple of years. Where you know we're drawn, maybe you know Durs maybe is out of it. And again, I can't judge even, but you know Doyle supposedly was out of it when Durr was there, and then it's like it's been like four generations since. 
because they iterate pretty fast mm. these days on, you know, they call them uh, communities of practice where they're online together, helping each other, which sports betters don't do enough, in my opinion. But if the other person is so quote unquote dumb not to do what's optimal for them, it changes what's optimal for the other for the other player. And you think there might have been a way that it would have been even better for Jeopardy James. Well, actually, Jeopardy James did the proper strategy. Okay. What it I could thought- have been better was the first place person could have gone ahead and and used Jeopardy James' optimal strategy against him in that she could have figured out, hey, he's going to wager really small because he knows what I'm going to wager. Thus, I don't need to wager anything. I can wager zero because I know that James isn't going to wager enough to catch me if he gets it right. And then she would, in theory, if she, if, if you knew that James was going to use optimal strategy, she wins. She wins no matter what. Yes. Now, the one other factor was that the final Jeopardy category was Shakespeare. And apparently she was a literature major who had done a thesis, one of her theses on Shakespeare. So because of that, it would take a lot of gumption to, to not just go ahead and wager enough that if you get it right, you win. Yeah. Yeah, but it is fascinating the idea that if the other person does it right, he's more vulnerable. And you you see that all the time at poker is how'd you call that? Like if you change the paradigm and there's actually a pretty famous story that and it's still under dispute that Nigel Short, the chess player, played uh, supposedly Bobby Fischer online. Uh, and they played some speed chess in like 2000, 2001, 2002, I think it was. And Bobby Fischer did the craziest thing. Well, again, people don't know if it's Bobby Fischer or not. They think it might have been an engine at the time too, you know, a chess engine. But but how would the chess, uh, it's a whole story. He literally like walked his king. Like he, it, it, the first like nine moves of the game, he moved his, the, the player moved his king like six times. Yeah, I saw that he pushed up like his two, his queen yeah, pawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but what I'm saying is. Totally but, not optimal. But that's the thing is that because short, because they were off book already and all he could play is like standard chess is it got, it got pretty evened up pretty quick after. So obviously if you're predictable, it doesn't matter if you're optimal. There's a disadvantage of being predictable. Especially in poker. Yes. And Jeopardy. Now, last thing. A lot of people might think we're kidding here, but we're not. Fez, on national radio, you explained that you believe that before Jeopardy, James started playing on Jeopardy, and his first name is James, that there were two people in the world that understood how to play Jeopardy. Tell us who they were Jeopardy James and myself. <laughs> Daryl, how freaking insane does a guy have to be to say it, even if you believe it, to say it? You know, I'm gonna give him some points because he's trusting in his own abilities. No, see that there could, there could be too much of that at a, a certain point. Mm. No, no, RJ, I've watched enough Jeopardy where I see these geniuses that can answer all the questions. They know all the trivia, 
but they have no game theory behind their game. I know you love that. I know you love so where you can feel superior because there's one little thing that you know but, that, that anyone with an IQ over 110 you could teach in, in, in a day. But if they have an eight... But you talked about it more than that. and you're, If you add up all the time you've talked about it, it's it's been as long as it would have taken you to teach the world on YouTube about it. But you'd rather talk about how... But it's not about game theory. You're saying that the where James broke Jeopardy, some say, were revolutionized the way he played. You're saying if you had played Jeopardy the week before Jeopardy James came on the scene with his new style, you would have played almost... Ident- not saying answering the questions at the same rate, but you would have played... You would have been the first person in the history of the world... To play Jeopardy that way, I would have. It, it's it's obvious. It's like everyone it's, runs. It's ca- obvious. Everyone runs categories before <laughs> James. Why would you run the category? Go flip around to different categories so your opponents don't know what category is coming, and you do know. Well, that was something that's been five years. I don't think that's what they're saying. James's big innovation was that's an innovation that happened like five or six years ago. There was this big like has Jeopardy changed because of the idea if you, if you know where you're going next. The other person's waiting, waiting, waiting. It's like the starting, if you're a little ahead. Right, right. And I agree. That was something that wasn't talked about until recently, you know, a couple years ago. But from what I gathered, and Daryl, you've read a lot of the articles too. It was more of how aggressive he was with those. Like, if you're going to hit 97%, why it's, like play, it's like playing AC. But it's easy to say, why didn't you write a, you love attention. You, every cockamamie theory you've ever had you did you've done a tweet storm on at some point where's the jeopardy show us the provide the link Mm. Uh Mm -hmm. Mm. well i think you have a case rj (laughs) i was riding with you fizz you know you know something (laughs) you forgot the ride and die part fizz had his hand up He, he he had another point go ahead fizz I'm reluctant to even admit this. Oh, but if you listen, that's like someone that walks around with his pants off all the time saying, I wonder if I should walk out like this. Like, <laughs> what the hell is going on now? In 1993, I was actually on the TV show Love Connection. Oh, we everyone, anyone it's, but what does that have to do with this? I discussed Final Jeopardy strategy. But but you do realize that that's not what we're talking about. I understand. I mean, that, that shit literally. That's the tip of the Hold on a second. Final Jeopardy strategy is like eighth grade math style. And the fact that that even smart people don't understand basic game theory, it's an interesting point. One time for about 40 seconds. It's not for you to strut around the world like you're the smartest person. But what? how did you think that had anything to do with what we're saying? What was Jeopardy James's innovation? Well, I was thinking about this back in 1993, but when I was You were thinking about Jeopardy week. like the rest of the country was. Right. Let me guess. Did you win the love connection? I actually did. And you were talking about Jeopardy game theory. <laughs> There's a flaw in a game right there. Was Chuck Willary? Real, I can't even say his name. Willary on there with He you? was. Wow. If anyone gets the video, send it in. I'm trying to find it now. Ah! <laughs> he, he scrubbed the internet. <laughs> All right. Anything else on Jeopardy? Nothing else. You got any other claims to make? None. You gave up. Alex Trebek was the second choice. You were the first. I mean, anything? Nothing. Fast. He's one of a kind. We know that. All right. <laughs> We're going to do a commercial break and then Best Bats. 
Old friend True Car, 60 seconds. That's exactly how long this commercial lasts. You know what else you can do in about a minute? You can get an offer on your car with True Car. That's right. And the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups, or listen to my voice. You're getting sleepy. You can get a True Cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from the smartphone, from your smartphone or home. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how the car's details pop up. Answer a few questions. You'll get an accurate True Cash offer from a local True Car certified dealer. It's that easy. After that, you can bring your car in. They'll check it out with you together like Fez and Van Vliet used to be. You can ask questions and get the answers you need so there's no surprises. Then simply leave with your check or trade in your car for a new ride. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Card today. All right, Fezzy Wazzy, you're the only best bet, but we can't forget our girl. However you forgot Freddie, it's never going to happen with me. Sometimes I just call her B. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Fire up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. Don't give us a piece of your mind, Faz, but go. I'm going to give you a piece of our local team here, the Las Vegas Aces. They play tomorrow night. Now what league is this? This is the WNBA, RJ. Ooh. Now, you've had, like, the last two years, you're like what? 28 and 15. Somehow he knows that. If you were 15 and 28, it'd be, like, bad. A little bit below 500. <laughs> All right, hit us. All right, so... This is a home run spot for the Las Vegas Aces here, RJ. Let me make my case. Number one, Coach Bill Lambert, he calls it like it is. He just called out his team, calling them lazy. How often do you see a coach after three games? He's saying, my team is lazy. But still, he goes on shows talking how Michael Jordan was no good, like literally a couple weeks ago. <laughs> well, he's... Yeah, keep going. He's a good coach. And I fully expect off two losses, Las Vegas is an undervalued commodity. Last year, our Aces, our hometown team, only won 13 games. They had a lot of their players missing to start the season, and they've upgraded significantly throughout the year. Most specifically, they just picked up a monster at center, Liz Cambage. She's six foot eight. She just called a young lady a monster. She's a monster. She's in a good way. In a good way. A good mo. Okay. Like like Barkley underneath, but she's only played two games for the I Aces. think Howard Cosell said something like that. He said, he goes, it was a good... Yeah, so at one and two, the Las Vegas no Aces edits. are a contender with a losing record. They're going to be fully fe- focused. They're on the road at Atlanta. In the WNBA, how much of it... In NBA regular season, it's massively about handicapping motivation. In the WNBA, how much ebbs and flows of motivation are there? You know, it seems like it's less important, actually, in the okay. WNBA. But this is the exception to the rule, in my opinion. And my buy price, there's no line out on this game. The game is tomorrow. It's Thursday. Thursday night. Maybe no Wednesday. Right. So uh, Las Vegas minus three or less against Atlanta is the best bet here. And it would not surprise me, RJ, if Las Vegas, if our aces don't wind up being the WNBA champions. Um, There's been a lot of shakeup in the WNBA. Some of the traditional powers are down this year. So is that, do you think there's value on 
the aces when it comes to what future is your future price? I don't bet them. Yeah, it's like plus three hundred. I think you could take a flyer with plus three hundred. No, I, no, so. I don't know what that means. Take a flyer. Honestly. I think there's value. Are you giving advice or not? Plus three hundred. I think is a good bet on the aces. Plus three hundred or more. This isn't your first show, is it? No. You don't just kind of say you either believe it or you don't. I do believe. And you have a buy price. Yes. So you got a bet for Thursday? Yeah, Thursday, Las Vegas Aces. When the line comes out, if it's minus three or less, lay it with the Las Vegas Aces at the Atlanta Dream. Bye, bye. Thanks for listening to RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Catch the Wise Guy Roundtable each week. College football released on Wednesday, NFL on Thursday. Don't miss any winners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit podcastone.com and download the Podcast One app. Have a question for RJ? You can contact him directly on Twitter at RJ in Vegas. Live the dream with us each week.